Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show. It's Thursday, and that means marathon time, baby. We're in it for the long haul, game by game breakdown. We got 11 to go. We'll kick it off with Baltimore and Philly. But before we do, let's introduce everybody. I'm Dave Lochran. With me, as he is every Thursday, Matt Savoka. Follow him. On Twitter, at Draftaholic. If you're not following me yet, at Lafayette underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Well, Matt, as we dive into this, and we're happy to have everyone with us, as always, hit that thumbs up. Yes, sir. If you're just jumping in the door, well, of course you are, because we just got started. It is greatly appreciated. It helps us combat that pesky YouTube algorithm, too. They want to push us down. They want to suppress us. It won't happen. We're not going to allow it. Subscribe and hit that notification bell as well. Uh, Matt, before we dive into it, just a little housekeeping duty here. Le'Veon Bell, for anyone that missed yesterday's show with Matt Kajewski, Kyle Dvorak, and myself, check that out. You know where to find it on YouTube. Has been released by the New York Jets. Uh, that didn't work out particularly well for them. Worked out great for him, walking away with 28 mil across 18 games. But the Atlanta Falcons, a little bit of COVID trouble. They say they're operating out of, I quote, an abundance of caution. One member... Today reported, tested positive, but it's a a personnel member. It is not a member of the 53-man roster. So it appears that we probably will have a game this week, despite the fact that they have closed down their practice facility at the time. But I just figure we get all of that out of the way before we dive into these games. Nice, yeah. I I certainly woke up this morning, saw all the Schefter tweets, and thought, oh, here we go again. We got a lot to say. And it... Uh, you know, fingers crossed, like you never know when something like this just starts, but it looks like the main slate is going to be full with exactly the games we thought. Let's dive into it. We kick it off with Baltimore and Philadelphia. Philadelphia Eagles did get into it. I'll tell you what, if there's one encouraging moment or factor from last week, they dropped 29 points on a very talented Pittsburgh defense. Uh, Carson Wentz, Another game where an interception could have really tipped the scales in terms of how the result played out, but managed to move the ball downfield. Miles Sanders had a big 72-yard touchdown scamper. And the big news, Travis Fulgham, uh, 10 receptions, 152 yards, just a monster game, had a 37% target share uh, in week five. 
Really impressive stuff. Found the end zone as well. Created a ton of separation. Used his body on contested catches. Seemingly has good hands. But they're still seven and a half point dogs, Matt. The Baltimore Ravens are an overall better team. Let's start it off with, by the way, 48 point total. Let's start it off with the Ravens here. I want to get your initial opinion on Lamar Jackson, what we've seen from him this season, why you think we may have seen some uh, lesser fantasy totals, if this is something that will balance itself out, or if it's something that you expect to be sustained through the course of 2020. Sure, yeah. So I actually wrote in my matchups column, which will be out on awesomeo.com later today, about this game, that the Lamar Jackson regression we knew was coming at the end of 2019 in terms of his incredible touchdown rate passing and, of course, this game-breaking rushing upside that we've basically never seen from the position, it was bound to come back towards some sort of earthly mean. At the same time, now we're seeing the pendulum kind of swing the other way where we know that his game-breaking ability and his rushing ability hasn't really changed, and he's actually using his two pass catchers, Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown, uh, more consistently in the passing game, but the touchdowns and the big explosive plays just haven't been there yet. So my first instinct is, let's keep going back to the well until we get that really big game. But if you're talking about it from a season-long standpoint, he's certainly disappointed based on his projection in the beginning of the season, and he's still priced as the quarterback one overall on the main slate. You're not getting any kind of discount. And at that price, at that salary, you still need a huge blow-up game. These 14, 15, 16-point games that we've been seeing are really, really hurting your teams. So I do like the matchup. They're huge favorites, and the Philly defense has given up explosive plays. Hello, Chase Claypool last week. But we don't have the guarantees that we had last year. Uh, so there's a there's a little bit of a game theory element where he's only going to be the quarterback 10, it looks like, in projected ownership. That's something that you could go contrarian and pay up for him. But it's certainly harder to bet on than it was last season. Yeah, there's no doubt. I will say this much. The Jim Schwartz defensively, there's a lot of people calling for his head out here in the Philadelphia area. Um, the, the fact that Chase Claypool was just wide open on – every occasion and probably would have scored again had that offensive pass interference call bad call not but not happened down the the right sideline yep. there were it wasn't even as much like oh yeah he got good separation which he did i mean credit the fellow he had four touchdowns in his fourth professional game but at the same time this defense this secondary their coverage is rough and I have to wonder, Matt, if we're talking about potentially getting some leverage going to an under-owned Lamar Jackson, and you bring up a good point, he's not, you're not getting a price discount on him, which needs to be factored into to all of our decision-making. I will say this much, though. We talk about the fact that you, don't, you, you run Lamar naked, you don't want to pair him, and, and to some extent I think that's viable. But Marquise Brown has a 27% target share this season. Uh, he has clearly been the favorite overall target of Lamar Jackson. And I think that is encouraging. I'm not necessarily huge on stacking him with two players. Um, if you wanted to, you know, you run Andrews and Brown and, and Lamar and run it back with maybe a Fogum. I don't know if $3,900 Deshaun Jackson's going to be healthy. That's a conversation we can have. But Lamar Jackson, when he throws, has been looking to Marcus Brown a lot. The issue is 37 attempts last game, 10 of them went to Brown. That's ideal. 
But in these other games, he's failed to attempt 30 uh, passes, and he's attempted 25 or fewer in three of five. So in context, that 27% market share of targets is a lot different on a very low passing volume offense like the Baltimore Ravens. That's right. You're still hoping for efficiency, even though we look at these uh, team-related statistics. Marquise Brown really, really pops. The other thing he doesn't have going for him besides that volume uh, contextualization that you just mentioned is that Mark Andrews is still the preferred option the minute they get into the red zone. I believe, I don't have the stat up right now, but I believe he has five times the amount of end zone targets than anyone else on the team. And Philadelphia matches up in this case. I actually mentioned it in the Pittsburgh game. They're terrible in terms of fantasy points allowed over opponent average to the tight end position. I think we might want to extend that just a little bit after seeing what we saw last week and say that the Eagles right now are terrible over the middle of the field in their secondary. Uh, I think that uh, last Claypool touchdown was the epitome of the problems that the Eagles are having. And that is an area where they usually like to feature Mark Andrews. So I do think I might stack a little bit of Lamar and Mark more than I usually would in this matchup, but that's really matchup-based more so than the way he's been used overall. Agreed. But if I am going Lamar, I have no problem going uh, Marcus Brown. Look, it's been tough to project game script this year, Matt, and we're getting into a lot more in this game than we need need to, but I think it, it applies to so much on the slate in general. With, with game scripts, it's, it's been tough. You take Tennessee on Tuesday night. You take the Cowboys falling behind. I've mentioned all of this throughout the week. You take uh, the, the, the Vikings going up by two scores early in that game. The Seahawks only ran 18 plays in the, in the first half. Um, the, the Kansas City Chiefs falling behind by 16 points. That's just week five alone. Uh, ultimately, many things can happen. I don't think anyone anticipated the Eagles dropping 29 points on the, on the Steelers either and seeing a monster 60 plus point or a 58 point total. No, no, you know what it was? It was, it was around 60. It might've been above 60 uh, in that game. I think it was. Yeah. So if the Eagles come out and put some points on the board and Lamar Jackson is forced to throw, having him pair with Marquise Brown to me uh, could end up being really solid. I don't trust the Eagles at all to be able to contain these receivers over the top. So that's how I'm viewing this game. Is it a favorite of mine? No, but Philly Pittsburgh wasn't a favorite of anyone's last week. Granted, you didn't need them to win tournaments because they were so low owned. But if a game like this does pop, you know where Marcus Brown or you know where Lamar Jackson's going to go. And I think call me crazy as we make this transition over to the Eagles. If you want to hit on the running back situation in Baltimore, go for it. Um, I think Fulgham is legitimately going to be targeted frequently going forward. Matt, I know it's one game. I totally understand that. But I'm telling you right now, go back. Anyone that missed that game, go back and watch that game. It was not a fluke that Fulgham got open as often as he did and hauled in some very difficult catches. I really like what I saw from him. And I'll I'll, eat, I'll take the L if I'm wrong. But and, and I'm not saying I love him in this game against a very tough secondary. But if I am running it back, with one player, it might actually be Travis Fulgham. Go ahead. Are your thoughts on the Eagles? Yeah, I, I don't know how you could go back to the well on Zach Ertz. He was he was sort of a contrarian, low-owned play with expected high volume. And yeah, I mean, he still is second on the team in true weighted opportunity share. But like you said, in the times that Fulgham has played this season, he has actually seen more looks and more air yards. And this is an anecdotal point, but I think they would rather have Ertz 
be a second option in the receiving game. Yep. He's better as a second option. I know we've said that about a couple of players this year, but I think that they're looking for a wide receiver one option that can even just separate a little bit. That's why they were so high on getting Deshaun Jackson when he became a free agent, and that's why they still want Alshon Jeffrey to get in, even though he has had trouble staying healthy for years now. I, I, It's tough to trust any Eagles receiver. Uh, this is someone smarter than me who said it on a podcast, but... I think as you were talking about game script, it reminded me of this 50-30-20 rule or, yep, that's 100. And, and so basically <laughs> a player is, is their production is based on 50% game script and game flow, as you mentioned, 30% usage, opportunity, like target share, air yard share, and then 20% is their talent, their ability, and their efficiency on that usage. So like we said, we're trying to piece together situations that are going to be sneaky shootouts. Do I think this has a percentage chance of shooting out? Sure, especially if Lamar and the Ravens side goes off. That's why I'm more considering the Eagles as a runback option. But the amount of times that they pass per game, the Eagles do, is still in the top 10 of the league. So you do have the recipe for a second half exactly like we saw. Fulgham getting the bulk of the air yards since he came in is a really great option, especially if they're playing from behind maybe multiple scores. No disagreement there. Uh, 50, 30, 20, I don't disagree with that either. You have, you have to consider that stuff. Uh, that said, in terms of opportunity, <clears throat> you're very limited outside of someone like Fogum. And w- w- as far as Zach Ertz goes, 18% target share this season. That's remarkably low given the the dearth of options that they have as pass catchers on this team with DJX hurt, Alshon hasn't played yet. Rager got hurt in week two. Uh, Dallas Goddard's on the IR. Yeah, You would think that he'd be getting a whole lot more. I think teams are focusing so much on eliminating Zach Ertz that it's going to open things up for guys like Fogum. So uh, if you are looking to stack this game, that would be my approach. I'm not interested in the run game on either side. I'm a huge Miles Sanders advocate, Matt. I love what I saw in that 72-yard run. But outside of that, against a stout Pittsburgh run defense, and he'll face another pretty good run defense this week, he had 10 carries for um, he had 10 carries for nine yards outside of that. Um, or I'm so, no, I'm sorry, 10 carries for six yards outside of that 74-yard touchdown run. Yep, that's the exact stat I had written down for Sanders. And you know what? That run came on a third and long draw play. Yes. So we're talking about a run that the Eagles didn't even expect to be productive in terms of expected points added or or any efficiency metric you're really looking at. So, yes, is it really encouraging that he's able to break a tackle against a strong Steelers run defense? Excuse me, run defense and break away like that? Yes, but the rest of his carries are more indicative of the type of of game that we're usually seeing from Sanders, and we really shouldn't be surprised that offensive line is just so beat up, really more than any other team. Uh, I completely agree with you. The only rushing option I'm looking at in this game is Lamar Jackson. All right. Let's keep it moving. Norman says this game is toast. Ronnie says fade all Eagles, way better value in other places. Look, I don't think Matt and I are disagreeing with that, but we have to talk about if this game pops, who's it going to be? Who do we think it's going to be? Last week is a perfect example of that. Since And not to say that anyone would have said Chase Claypool and Travis Fogg, right? But... You know, Cincinnati and Indy. So the Indianapolis Colts at home here uh, are eight-point favorites. You got a 46-point total. 
AJ Green actually got in a limited practice uh, yesterday, which was a little bit surprising to me. At this point, you know, this stage of the game, you just expect him not to practice and not to play. Um, but T. Higgins appears to have kind of taken on many of those air yards that AJ Green was getting over the first two weeks, uh, and 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 it's kind of encouraging. But Indianapolis defense. They've been a topic of conversation, right? Kind of a polarizing team. And I'd love to hear your breakdown on them, Matt. I'll set you up with this. Most people like to say that they haven't faced a ton of good teams yet. From Jacksonville, who they gave up 27 points to, Minnesota, the Jets, the Bears, and then seeded 32 points to the Cleveland Browns in a loss in week five. How do you see the, the Indianapolis Colts coming into week six against Joe Burrow and the, and the uh, Cincinnati Bengals? Well, I will say that they're popping in all the metrics for defense that I look at, too. So I've mentioned it already before. It, in fantasy points allowed over opponent average, they're giving up bottom 10 as in least advantageous matchup for an offense against quarterbacks, against running backs, against wide receivers, against tight ends. They have one of the top 10 corners in the league in terms of PFF grades and Xavier Rhodes. And one of my opinions in the NFL these days is one of the best ways you can shut down a passing offense is eliminate one option. We've seen you could call it the Bilicek plan at this point. And your best way of doing that is either an elite pass rush or one shutdown corner. And they have that. Now, I will say that they have game-breaker linebackers as well that are looking like they may miss. Darius Leonard comes to mind immediately that might put me on Joe Mixon a little bit more than the field. It looks like the awesomeo.com projections coming around 11%. So we know that he's getting a huge bulk of the carries, the opportunity shares within the top 10 in the NFL. And he's priced as the running back 13 on the main slate. So you're getting a little bit of value there. Uh, that said, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Right now, they're minus eight points allowed under opponent average against the running back that's second best among defenses in the league so the Bengals T <laughs> Higgins Joe Mixon you talked about Joe Mixon which I think is actually a pretty interesting spot here uh, especially compared to a few other running backs at a similar price point we'll get into all of them throughout the show is there anyone on the Bengals though just to kind of come full circle here that you like for week six yeah, and you mentioned it that T. Higgins and also Tyler Boyd, they've actually both passed A.J. Green if you're looking in terms, if you're contextualizing target share with air yard share in a metric like true weighted opportunity share. So we're still not seeing a huge amount of targets and air yards for any one player. But I think, especially when you're considering the fact that T. Higgins was the 33rd overall pick, a very special pick because the teams have a whole day to try to trade for that pick. He was obviously prioritized, and now we're seeing it on the field. We can take advantage of that while he's still in the wide receiver 37 salary range. Uh, we could try to take advantage of players that we know are likely to be priced way up from where they are in the future and try to ride that wave. On the other side of this one, you've got the Colts and uh, chat right now talking about uh, Philip Rivers and T.Y. Hilton. It's been it's it's been really ugly. There, there's no question. Now, one encouraging element of all of this is that T.Y. Hilton was targeted 10 times last game. I like to see that. I do. But Philip Rivers, man, it, I think a lot of us came into this. I, I came into this season with a, a relatively nuanced approach as far as Rivers went. Uh, it was 
The guy last year had an awful deep ball. Awful. But he threw it a ton. No one was intercepted more on deep balls, but very few players actually attempted more of them. So, you know, if you're talking about someone like T.Y. Hilton, the interceptions don't count against him. But if you get those opportunities from game to game, eventually a couple of them are going to hit. Well, unfortunately, it's been a really, really ugly start to the season for T.Y. Hilton. Even in last week's game with 10 targets, he only had 109 air yards. Um, I, I don't I don't know what to make of this passing game right now. It's not good. Phillip Rivers has zero two-touchdown performances on the season, Matt. He has two multi-interception games, zero multi-touchdown games. He's thrown for one 300-yard game. That was to start against Jacksonville. And outside of that, he has been completely stagnant offensively passing the ball. They're looking to lean on the run. But I've got to tell you, this offense could run into some serious trouble against teams that have quality run defenses. I don't think this Cincinnati Bengals run defense is stout enough to contain uh, the, 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 a very, very solid run blocking line for the Colts. And of course, a couple of decent, a stable of decent backs, but is, is rivers going to need to throw in this game? Do they want him to throw in this game? It feels like the answer to both of those might be no. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. It, we're, Looking at a player who obviously is physically declined, I really, I really don't know how else to say it. And when you talk about how much money and how quickly the Colts went out and paid Philip Rivers, while Cam Newton, who when he's played has just torn up the league so far, uh, sat out there and had to get such a, a minimal contract comparatively, it looks even worse. Uh, that said, I do see some positive metrics for the Colts, uh, especially in terms of the line, as you said. But also from a pass-blocking standpoint, it looks like PFS has them rated as the number one pass-blocking advantage on the main slate this week, which obviously is good for Phillip Rivers. But like you said, the upside is just not there at all. Basically, you're saying, is he going to get his first multi-touchdown game in weeks? That's not the kind of bet I want from the quarterback position, which is typically the simplest or easiest to project. So... uh, Will I be wrong a couple times with Rivers? Yeah, probably. But with these receiving options that's so limited beyond Hilton right now, uh, although I did see Michael Pittman is practicing and expected to be back after their bye week, um, and the way that they spread out the ball to running backs, not being sure which running back is going to hit, the Colts are really just starting to turn into one of these stay-away teams offensively because their shootout probability is so low. It's ugly, Matt. It really is. It's ugly. I came into this season thinking Jack Doyle could be a really good late round best ball target. You know, he's going like 150 overall. Why not? We saw what he did without Eric Ebron a couple of years ago. You remember he was very, yeah, he's very efficient. Um, This season, he's got three targets over his last three games. He's been an afterthought. But how much of this offense outside of the run game hasn't been an afterthought, right? If I look at the Indianapolis Colts, I, I see a team that has very, very, very few guys that have seen more than five targets in a game. Like Pittman had six in week two. Pascal had, Pascal had eight in week four. Hilton had 10 in week five. But aside from that, there's nothing. Trey Burton had six last week. So I suppose I can ask you about him. Uh, it appears that with Mo Cox uh, not practicing, tending to a knee injury, Maybe Trey Burton at a dirt cheap price point at a really terrible tight end position. It's bad this week, folks. Uh, 
maybe maybe there's some semblance of value there, but I, I'm really just grasping at straws and ultimately because the position, the tight end position is so ugly. Yeah, I, I wrote in my column this week that they really are just such touchdown dependent players because yeah. of the lack of usage overall. And now we're getting into that same conversation we had in the last game is what kind of game flow are we talking about here? I think the way that this most likely happens is that Indianapolis is able to impose their will on the ground, which is lowering the amount of plays overall in this game, which makes the passing options just kind of meh overall. Could you have a three touchdown game from someone like T.Y. Hilton at any time? Absolutely. The the chances are not zero percent, but they're dwindling. They're dwindling drastically. That's bad. Let's keep it moving then. Minnesota and Atlanta. Hit that thumbs up, guys, if you're just jumping in. We appreciate all you. It's the easiest way to help support us. Minnesota and Atlanta. The the Minnesota Vikings are um, – hold on one second. Make sure I – okay, my fault, Jordan. I got you. Don't worry. Don't worry. I saw your eyes there. Detroit-Jacksonville. Almost went out of order. Detroit-Jacksonville. Yeah, almost skip. Uh, Lions, three-point favorites. 54-point total here. Couple of, a couple of things to point out that I do like. And, you know, earlier in the year, Matt, I told you that I thought the, the, the concentration of targets or the distribution would be a lot more concentrated. And it really hasn't been. Uh, it's unfortunate. But Matthew Stafford does have an A dot north of 10. And Kenny Galladay in the two games he's played has a target share around 25%. So those are a couple things I like about this team. He's been targeted seven and eight times in both of those games. But aside from that, Everything's been very spread out. Marvin Jones, man, very disappointing thus far. TJ Hawkinson, uh, if he's not catching touchdowns, he's been very much limited, and he's caught touchdowns in two games. But outside of that, man, I don't necessarily know what to expect from him. I do still believe he has some blow-up potential. But, man, it's it's been a team that I really liked coming into the year. I still, by the way, think there's going to be some monster shootouts as far as this Detroit team goes. Maybe it's this week. I don't know. Your thoughts on the Lions and Stafford and the passing game. Well, I think we have to talk about the Lions offense just because of the amount of points per play they put up, even in the game flow situation of last week where they were trying to put the the foot on the gas in the first half and then we're playing from behind suddenly in the second half. Those are the exact kind of teams we, we want to target because they just have to pass so often. And when you look at Stafford's stats with Galladay in the lineup... But hold on, hold on, man, hold on. Wouldn't you have expected them to throw a lot more instead of trying to run Adrian Peterson playing behind against the New Orleans Saints? Well, we expect rational coaching a lot more (laughs) than we actually get it. And you know what? The second Adrian Peterson signed with that team after signing DeAndre... Or excuse me, drafting DeAndre Swift in the second round. Talk about a talented player that you should be giving those, those opportunities to. I digress. At, le- at the very least, when you look at target share and air yard share, once Galladay entered the lineup, he really was a primary alpha, whatever you want to call it, receiver, whereas basically all other players became secondary auxiliary options. Now, I certainly think TJ Hawkinson at this point has more upside than Marvin Jones, but when we say that Marvin Jones has been relegated in the Lions offense, what we're really saying is now we expect him to have five to seven targets instead of the eight to 10 that we used to be able to project for him. 
there's still a huge opportunity here. And we just saw the Jaguars give up a huge score to Brandon Cooks. And then the week before that, a huge score to Joe Mixon. So there could be some offensive goodness to have on this Lions team. Picking it is is getting a little bit easier, though. So I, I first would think Galladay, but I think two touchdowns from Hawkinson. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Isn't out of the question at all. So I, I like this team this week. So do I. I, I. I do too. But it isn't to say that I don't have you know some concerns, just given how flat the distribution has been. But yes, I, I, Galladay to me is is still an elite receiver. I'm I'm a big Galladay fan. I, I don't think there's any reason not to be. Um, he led the league in red zone, or he led the league in touchdowns last season. I think he may have even led the league in red zone targets, and that was playing eight games with a cast of rejects at the quarterback position. So. Uh, you get Matthew Stafford back. I I, I, I like Galladay. I think it's a reasonable price point. The real thing here, and you kind of touched on it, Matt, is really just how bad is this Jacksonville defense? Yeah, I mean, they're so beat up in the secondary now. DJ Hayden was playing some of his best football. He's been placed on IR. CJ Henderson has been out of in and out of the lineup. And they were already having such trouble stopping the run. It almost seems like teams are able to do whatever they kind of want to do uh, at this point, at least over the last two weeks. The Bengals wanted to run, and the Houston Texans wanted to get their passing game straightened. I did want to mention, too, that TJ Hawkinson is now up to number one among tight ends in true air yard share. That just regresses it based on sample size. So you're basically saying that in terms of air yards, TJ Hawkinson is being used unlike any other tight end. Now, in terms of target share, he's only 12th at the position. So the usage is variable still week to week, but I think against a defense that just has so many holes, and when you see the ownership on Galladay starting to rise, it looks like he's going to be over 22% owned this week on awesomeo.com projections. I think Hawkinson's a great place to pivot. What are your thoughts, and, and I, I like Hawkinson as well. Uh, he, he's relying on touchdowns, but so is the entire tight end position at this point. Precisely. Uh, even, even the best players at the top because they're priced so much higher than these middle tier and low value end uh, tight ends. So they're going to need to give you those same numbers. Hawkinson's expensive, but uh, what's his ownership coming in at? Uh, It looks like 4%. That's the 12th highest tight end on the slate. So that's going to be a little bit of a contrarian play. I didn't notice yet. He's the fourth highest salary tight end this week. That's pretty high up there. Yeah. He's, he's 53. It's, it's a little bit dicey, but uh, you know what? Sometimes Alex Baker, you know him, awesome, number one ranked DFS player. 
he uses the term pay, pay up to be contrarian. Uh, and oftentimes he'll use that with like baseball stacks, right? You know, the Astros, the Yankees, where they're in the best spot to succeed. They have the highest likelihood of being the top stack on the top scoring stack on the slate, but their ownership is down uh, and their ownership is down solely because it's hard to work them into lineups. Uh, similar, similar, um, similar idea here with somebody like TJ Hawkinson. So Calvin Ridley was a great example of that last week with so many people, uh, coalescing around Alamade Zacchaeus or even yep. Russell Gage, Calvin paying up for Calvin Ridley was the contrarian option last week. Yes, sir. Uh, and Galladay ownership is at God, he's coming in at 22%. Okay. So, wow. I didn't know he'd be that popular. What are your thoughts on the Jacksonville Jaguars on the opposite side of this game, potentially some run back options or just some individual plays? Uh, the, the one thing I like about James Robinson is not his price point. I'll tell you that much price point. Uh, it, it, there's some sticker shock there for sure, but he has 20 plus looks in three of his last four starts. He's dominating touches and opportunities in the backfield. And then LaVisca Chenault, my expectations are probably a bit more tempered on his than, than other people, Matt. And here's why. He's ninth in yards after the catch among all receivers this season. But he's 78th in air yards. So everything that he's producing is essentially manufactured after the catch, which is fine. You know, I, I get that. I can appreciate that, you know, who gets some easy receptions and, and hopefully that works out. But at 5,200, I have some real hesitation to get to someone that's really never going to be targeted deep downfield. What are your thoughts on the Jags? Yeah, I think the best comparison, I, or at least I thought of, is Cordero Patterson right when he came into the league. And he was being used essentially as this hybrid player. Uh, I believe it was the on the Vikings, he was getting rushing attempts and passing attempts. They were all close to the line of scrimmage, but we kept seeing him making these game-breaking plays. Uh, so in that situation, it's I, I'm not the type of player that loves to bet on efficiency not regressing as you're talking about here at the same time we know the talent level of Chanel is very high and he's obviously getting involved in an offense that has actually been a little bit more aggressive in terms of early down passing in neutral situations than I might have thought they're actually 14th in the league right now now you're not getting any kind of savings on on them this week and that's probably because the the pricing is actually factoring in a probability of a shootout is really what it looks like. Whereas Minshew is up at the as the eighth highest salary wide receiver, Robinson up at the ninth highest running back. So all of these players kind of, they kind of rub you the wrong way in terms of how they're priced. But at the same time, we're looking at a Lions defense that has just been a sieve at multiple positions. We saw it last week against the Saints, how quickly they were able to climb back into that game. They're above average in fantasy points allowed over opponent average to the wide receiver and the running back position. So I think I certainly will have Robinson around his running back five projection for ownership right now, which is coming in around 16%. I really, uh, where would you, let me ask you this just quickly. Where, where would you put James Robinson in your rankings at, at running back, like top middle, bottom well i think in terms of i'm such a usage type player and i know that he's getting usage on a fairly aggressive offense that has a fairly high implied total so just fundamentally i'm thinking of him as a running back one if you will is that top 12 is that top nine i really got to look at the projections to really to really suss that out 
But in terms of his ability to get 20 touches, that's his floor. His passing ceiling in terms of getting catches and PPR and getting to the end zone is quite high. So I'm certainly not opposed. You still need a 20-point game from him at this point for a value, but it's not out of the question. We've seen it before. He's coming in at 16%. I like him this week. The the Lions are allowing 5.2 yards per attempt to opposing running backs this season. Uh, I don't think that's a fluke. Like you said, they've been an absolute sieve defensively, allowing teams to get back into games uh, extremely easily. And uh, yards per game, they've had a buy, so don't look at total yards. If you're looking at yards per game, no team is allowing more rushing yards per game than the Detroit Lions this year. So if you're giving me, as you mentioned, someone that has RB1 usage, James Robinson doesn't need to be Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey in order to get us where we need to go. I don't have, amazingly, any issues with this price point. I'm I'm not opposed to getting here. Uh, if, if In a game where, you know, three-point spread, you could see it shoot out, but you should see it also stay relatively competitive. If he comes out of this one with 17 carries and six targets, I don't think anyone would be shocked. Uh, and if he gets in the end zone in each of those last two games, you're, giving, you're getting decent production. So I like James Robinson, and I actually think his ownership comes down a little bit throughout the week because he's upwards of uh, almost $7,000. And one thing I'll add, too, is that when you look at the consolidation of true weighted opportunity share, that's something I share on my uh, weekly data deep dive that's currently up on Osibo.com. The Jacksonville Jaguars have the lowest consolidation of targets and air yards in the entire league. So that just basically means Minshew is spreading the ball around consistently, really more than any other team. That leads me to a running back I know is guaranteed for touches. It might be one of those situations where I'm eating the chalk this week, but I like Robinson. I'm with you. Uh, That's all I have for this game. You want to close it out with anything else or will we move on to Minnesota-Atlanta? Uh, just notes that DJ Chark left last week's game, as did Tyler Eifer, which might bring more uh, opportunities to Keelan Cole, Chris Conley, and the aforementioned Chenault. Again, we're looking at a team that doesn't usually feed one player other than the running back. That's really all I got. If you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to uh, feel free to throw them in the comments down below if you're watching this after it aired. By the way, Matt. I decided every time we get a super chat here, I was going through our numbers. Every time we go get a super chat, I'm putting the person's name in Sharpie on that Iverson jersey behind me. What do you think of that? Oh wow, you're gonna you're gonna put it right on the jersey or, or, or the frame? No, no, no. It's going on the jersey. Oh my goodness! I love our wow. viewers, man. And if they support us, I say fuck it. Let's make something happen. You know what I mean? You hear that? He's willing to ruin the value of his Allen Iverson jersey for you guys. That's okay. That's okay. It's, I'm never going to wear it, right? I'm never going to wear it. It's like an, a triple XL. I, I, I may be gaining weight, Matt, but I, it's like a dress. It's a moo-moo on me. So <laughs> I, I figure that's the way to do it. We'll have some fun with it. And, uh, you know, we appreciate our, our, our Giving the people what they these want. Guys, these guys hang out with us every single day. So And girls. Minnesota hosting the Atlanta Falcons. We're going to just approach this game as if it's um, – as if it's playing, Matt, there's no reason not to. Uh, the analysis we give now will likely be the same throughout the week unless guys get placed on the, you know, what is it, the n- non-injury-related COVID-19, whatever it is. They're four-point favorites at home, the Vikings, 54.5-point total. Uh, Dan Quinn's fired. Look, 
it was it was his time. The, the, the man has blown so many big leads in crucial spots. You just can't keep him around any longer. Uh, it's unfortunate, but here we go. Coming into the week at 0-5, Matt. They're 0-5 going up against the Vikings team that had a real shot of beating a very good, now undefeated uh, Seahawks team in Seattle last week in primetime football. Really a fascinating game, though, from a number of angles. I'm going to throw this to you. I think Julio Jones sits. He didn't practice last week before being ruled inactive. I'm projecting him out right now until we get any other information. I'm projecting Russell Gage in, Julio Jones out. I'm also projecting Dalvin Cook to sit, especially knowing that they have a bye week coming up after week six, and Alexander Madison is more than capable of shouldering the load. If you diverge from me on any of those, feel free to throw it out there. But that's where I'm. That's how I'm projecting this game on Thursday morning. That's fair. I have Julio as a true 50-50, and the projections I've run do have him in right now. And I'll tell you what, it swings my opinion of this game so much, whether he plays or not. I'm kind of done with the Atlanta Falcons passing game without Julio Jones until they figure out their their identity as a team, really. Now, uh, we were talking before the show, the Todd Gurley call was pretty good, but it was really based on the, uh, the opportunities and the matchup, which is not at all the same this week. In fact, really the only advantages I see for the Falcons are against the passing defense of the Vikings. The Vikings are still really struggling against the pass. They rank in the bottom six in expected points allowed per drive and expected points subtracted per play. That's with uh, the NFL faster public model. And I... I do see a situation where Matt Ryan is really, really struggling to find anybody open other than when Calvin Ridley is covered enough. So we're kind of have two opposing forces here with a bad defense on the Minnesota side, but an offense that really seems to not know what it's doing when its prime player is not on the field. So I think this game hits its under if Julio doesn't play, and I think we have a full-blown shootout if he plays. Uh, That makes things really hard on Thursday, but at the same time, it also shows us that I, I really don't have a lot of interest in Matt Ryan or Calvin Ridley as a stack. I, I think it's going to see decently high ownership, and it's just I'm going to be looking elsewhere at their price ranges. What about someone like Ty Gurley? Well, I did notice that his even after a great game, he was the running back two overall last week that he still has a projected ownership under 6%. So it looks like the field is saying that the Carolina matchup... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's really got him, what got him over the hump. And 
he's now priced at running back 12 on the main slate. Relative to Price needing another 19-point kind of performance in order to be of value, I think I'm fading him as well. Um, again, even he relies on Julio Jones to rise, make that probability of a shootout rise in this game overall. I think, uh, I, I think the probability is less than the implied totals of these teams would say. All right. Adam Thielen's been targeted 44 times on the season. Uh, you're, he's still, despite everything we've seen from Justin Jefferson, uh, he, he's still the guy, right? And I think Jefferson is going to be a very solid number two. No question about that. But um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, that Thielen still has uh, a target share well over 30%. And I think it's 31.5 or 32% or something something along those lines. He's getting a lot of work. He has double-digit targets in back-to-back games. Uh, and, and one of those games was was one where Minnesota actually had the lead for for more than 30 minutes. So, and, and then against Houston as well, where they they didn't trail often at that one if, if they trailed at all. So it's not like he, it's, it sucks that we know this Minnesota team is unlikely to throw the ball a lot. And that that's unfortunate because Adam Thielen uh, can absolutely provide us with elite production. Cousins has thrown more than 27 times only once all season. That was last week, particularly in comeback mode against the Seattle Seahawks. But Adam Thielen is going to garner a ton of those looks, and it's against an Atlanta team whose secondary continues to be beat up, and they are, as you mentioned earlier, or as you used the phrase earlier, a a complete sieve. So is, is Thielen firmly on your radar this week, or is it a decent spot to pivot at an expensive price point in a spot where even despite the, the potential absence of Dalvin Cook, the Vikings might lean on the ground. I I feel much better about Thielen than I do about really any other player on the Vikings this week, especially against this Falcons secondary, which is just so injured that it's really not going to recover in 2020. As you mentioned, Adam Thielen has just gotten the kind of usage that's just unavoidable. And even as the wide receiver three in terms of salary this weekend, that might actually be a value compared to his guaranteed usage, which is really looking like wide receiver one overall type usage when you look at team share of air yards and targets. Now, his ownership looks really, really high this week. Over 25%, it looks like the highest owned wide receiver on the slate. And Going back to that offensive consolidation concept, it looks like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are coalescing to have a massive amount of the Vikings' targets and air yards. In fact, they're now in terms of the top two overall players on each team. They're the highest pair in terms of percentage. They have over 45% of the team's true weighted opportunity share. So if Cousins is passing, as you mentioned, it's not a lot. It's to those two players. I like those situations, especially for stacks in DFS. If it's a shootout, I think they're great options together. DraftKings preemptively priced up Alexander Madison with the, under the assumption or operating under the assumption that Dalvin Cook would be sidelined. He's $7,200, which, amazingly, of expectedly healthy running backs this week is the third most expensive behind only Aaron Jones and Derrick Henry. That's... I, I mean, I think they also have Dalvin Cook way up there in case he plays $8,000. Well. He would be the most expensive, assuming that Christian McCaffrey 
uh, is going to be out. And all, all indications appear that Matt Rule will not be active, that the team will not be activating. So what is this really telling you? This is telling you that this is an assumed shootout. This prices are almost guaranteeing that it's a shootout. And while that's very possible, that isn't the 100% probability chance that the, the salaries are kind of implying here. So I think how you play this game is really, it's up to you, but it also kind of depends, your whole slate and how you play this slate depends on what you see from this game. Because could it absolutely be one of these 60-point games where Calvin Ridley has 200 air yards and Adam Thielen has two touchdowns and Madison fills in admirably for Cook? It, it, it could be, but is that guaranteed? That's the question you got to ask yourself. So... To wrap this game up, and as you mentioned, I think you're probably right. This is a projected shootout. Uh, a lot of projected fantasy points from both sides of this one. Who are your top options from, from this game? You you mentioned you think it's going to go under. Uh, respectable opinion. And, and if that's the case, you're probably going to have a really good week coming in underweight on a spot like this. Uh, are there top options for you in this game with salary and ownership factored into the decision? If Julio Jones plays, I think he's a value as the seventh wide receiver on the slate, whereas Calvin Ridley, I believe, is up as the second wide receiver. Uh, this is a little bit of anecdotal, uh, my opinion, but I just think that he is, who Jones, that is, is so responsible in terms of the attention grabbing, the gravity of a player. It just makes the whole offense work. It makes things available for Ridley, for Hooper over the middle, who we haven't mentioned. If he doesn't play... I think the only way I'm going is I'm stacking Vikings and I'm running it back with someone like Ridley or Hooper. All right, Robert Lafay, I'm loving the ham Porter pick. Thanks dude. Glad you, glad you noticed that. I was so stoked to find that. Uh, Matt and I talked about it before the show. Sandlot. We grew up on that. Matt's 30. I'm 33. Like you grow up on that as kids, the little giants, Matt angels in the outfield. Um, what else was A little there? bit later, remember the Titans. Uh, there was one baseball movie that no one knows, but it's really quality. Go look it up. It's called Little Big League, where a kid oh, gets offered the Twins. Sure. Oh, good stuff. Rookie of the Year. Uh, remember Rookie was, of the Year, where he, where he has that injury, and then he starts throwing at the major league level, like 100 mile per hour. Yeah, that, that's it. The of course. The, the golden era of sports movies. It really was. Dude, the golden era of movies was back in the early 90s. Yeah, Home Alone, uh, Hook. You remember Hook with Hook. Uh, Robin Williams? Oh, Rufio? that's a paramecium. Was that? Yeah, that's a paramecium. I don't know. It's just the first thought of from Hook yeah. I had. <laughs> Some fantastic movies back so then. So good. Any, anyone around that age, like, you know, they, they get it and, and they love it. If not, go back and watch it. If you guys have kids, you know, younger kids, play those movies. They're so good. Washington, so I'm trying to honor them with some stuff back here. Washington, New York Giants, uh, Redskins three getting three points coming into New York. These teams are garbage, both of them, but we're here to talk about it because there might actually be some legitimate fantasy value here. I was, I, I, John, I'm sure John Rusto will, will mention it in chat. I was waiting for that Devontae Freeman game. I said he might be one of the best waiver wire pickups of the year earlier in the season. And, and I was willing to spend a bit on him, not because I think he's particularly good anymore, but just based on opportunity alone. Uh, and we saw he was in the winning Millie Maker lineup last week. He, was he great? No, but he did enough. And he had 17 attempts, 20 total looks, 15 looks the week before that. They said they'd ease him in. Now it looks like he's at full speed. 
going up against Washington. The Giants actually are favored in this game. I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to let you cover all of this from each angle, Matt. On the other side, we had a lot of conversation in chat yesterday, uh, and Matt and Kyle and I touched on Bradbury potentially shadowing Terry McLaurin. That concerns me, and I am a huge, I respect Bradbury to the highest degree. He's phenomenal, and I don't think he gets enough credit in the, in the general popularity of, of, of the NFL, uh, especially with casual fans. But he's phenomenal, and he shut down guys like Julio and Mike Evans for years. But I don't know who else Washington has to throw to. And Terry McLaurin is the type of guy that they can, they can do a lot of different things with him. So you have to be willing to, to, to sacrifice the tough matchup for somebody that's going to be peppered with targets, and I believe he is. And then Antonio Gibson. Uh, Antonio Gibson, in a game that might actually stay close, he's had 73% of all running back carries over the last two weeks. He's been targeted 10 times in his last two games. And Kyle Allen, before he went out with injury, targeted him on around 24% of his passes. So there are some things in this game that that I, I'm pretty enticed by, Matt, and a couple of them I just mentioned. Yeah, I... I love that stat about how much Kyle Allen targeted Gibson because that's actually something we weren't seeing as much with Haskins. He actually was struggling in terms of getting the targets that you would expect for a workhorse back. The passes were actually going more towards J.D. McKissick. That's something we've mentioned before. McKissick is being used out of the backfield and out of the slot, but that is actually taking away some of the opportunities for Gibson. Now, that is a bit quarterback-dependent. And if we see Kyle Allen really using his checkdowns and we get 20 to 25 opportunities from Gibson, he's going to be a fantastic play. Even in a negative game script or a low scoring game, he's the running back 18 overall on the main slate. And I think the McLaurin dilemma is really, I hate to say it again, but it's a little bit about how you play DFS because the usage is so good for McLaurin this year. Again, in the metrics that I use, like true weighted opportunity share, he's fourth overall in the entire NFL in terms of usage overall in the passing game. And he's priced as if he's not going to be used at all, or certainly as a middling option, he's the 20th highest salary wide receiver on the slate. So if you just want to play it, that even in a terrible game script, Terry McLaurin sees eight to 10 targets and he turns that into 60 to 100 yards and maybe a score you probably are going to be in a good spot. Now, I think a lot of people are seeing this as a savings option, though, and getting the free usage. I'm seeing ownership at almost 20%. That's the fourth highest wide receiver on the slate. So we're not alone there, but I think you're kind of right here. The only other person who's really used in the passing game is Logan Thomas. And, and you know, looking at the raw numbers from this, from this team, he's barely getting used at all. Yeah, I, I'm off of him. We had a long discussion yesterday about guys like him and Chris Herndon. There was so much hype preseason for Herndon, early season for Logan Thomas. It's been a rough go, but I do think there are spots to target here. This is what I call the battle of the bad, Matt. One of the bad has to win out. And what I mean by that is it could be bad offenses that win out, and it ends up being a shootout like we saw between the Jets and the, uh, and the Broncos, or I don't know if it was a shootout, but I they think they both dropped like 50-plus points. They soared, or total 50-plus points. They they soared over that that total. I know that. Uh, or it could be a battle of the bad where both teams fail to move the football and the bad defenses win out. If the battle of the bad is won by offenses, there are some guys at 
pretty minimal price points that are at least worth looking into. Now, Terry McLaurin's ownership plays a role here for sure, but Freeman's sub 5K, Gibson's 5,500, uh, and 5,500 is one thing, but when you compare that to a couple of other guys that are priced around him that are likely going to get more ownership, David Johnson being one of those guys, let's see if his ownership is still up there. Yeah, then I begin to, to, to have a lot more interest knowing that he's a pivot at a price point that other running backs are going to be getting a lot more ownership. You can wrap this game up on either side, Matt, and then we'll move on. Well, just to add a little bit more fuel to the fire on Gibson, I actually am predicting that Washington is going to win this game basically because the I believe that the best unit on the field for either of these two teams is the Washington defense. And in a similar vein that we saw in week one where they surprised Philadelphia, it was based on sacks, pressure, and turnovers. And I think there's a very high possibility with the Giants dropping back to pass at a top 10 rate in the league and still being inefficient on those touches or excuse me, on those dropbacks, that we could see mistakes from Jones. And that would lead to a positive game script where people don't expect it. And obviously you want a running back in that situation fundamentally. So uh, I really like Gibson, especially at that price point and the ownership again, outside the top 15 running backs. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, website for details. You have any interest in the defenses here? Uh, I usually like to play more high-variance defenses rather than looking for the lowest score of the week. But if you want a high floor defense, I think you could go, you could do worse than these two teams here. I think so too. Let's talk Chicago and Carolina. Before we do, um, you guys, you know about us here at Awesome. If you're new to the channel, welcome. We're happy to have you. We've got content for, for any sport that they've got contests for on DraftKings, FanDuel, Yahoo, you name it. Uh, and it's all free here at YouTube. If you want to see what we've got going on at awesome.com, though, uh, definitely. Would advise, would would urge you or suggest you come check it out because we've got the best ownership projections out there. They're so crucial to having success now in DFS to to understand what it looks like, how popular certain plays, how popular certain stacks and games are going to be in order to make decisions based off of that. Uh, It's different than it was five years ago. I can attest to that for sure. Getting good, accurate player projections, the top stack tool that we have, all of this developed. Uh, and built by Alex Baker himself. He's the number one ranked DFS player in the world for a reason. These are the same tools he uses. It's not just his name that we put on there and say, hey, they're Alex Baker's awesome uh, ownership projections and player projections, but really he's using something else. There's a lot of sites that do that, you know, no question. But that's not what we do. And that's why people come and, and stay and become members and win, and you can look at our Hall of Fame page on Twitter. It's the real deal. It's everything he uses that made him such a good player. Now, of course, you don't just pull them up and immediately become uh, an elite player. There's a lot that goes into it. But one of the goals here is also to help you become a better DFS player uh, and, and not just you know grab a lineup from somebody on Twitter, which never works, maybe once or twice, but you end up getting crushed in the long run. You know, re- 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 refine your process. We've got in our premium Slack chat, 
which you'll love. Hop in there if you do decide to sign up. We have office hours where some of the best DFS players out there, Alex, Ben Rasa, um, Steve Buzzard, who is with us, the Colts, multi-time 100K winner, Millie Maker winner. He was in there the other day doing, doing office hours, answering all of your questions, Adam Share, and so much more. So we have just a ton to offer, all of our premium articles as well, the lineup builder, the fantasy cruncher add-on if you're into MME, you name it, we've got it. And we also just added all of our showdown content into our Express NFL package for less than $4 a week. Ownership, projections, top plays, rankings, all of that great stuff. Check it out, awesome.com slash join. If you just want to do NFL, we got you covered weekly, monthly, annual, or if you want to do all sports from PGA to MMA to NASCAR to UFC to NFL, MLB, NHL, all of that, we got you covered there. You can do weekly, annual, monthly, whatever you want to do. We got something for everyone's budget. We hope you come over and join us. Remember, when you do, jump into the premium Slack chat. Go to awesome.com slash join. All right, Chicago, Carolina, Matt. Let's make it happen. The Carolina Panthers, you want to talk about a surprising team this year. They are one surprising team. Uh, they're actually favored by a point against Chicago, 45-point total. Not anticipated that this is a particularly high-scoring game, but guess what? Mike Davis, once again, coming into this one with pretty high ownership because, well, he's literally assumed the Christian McCaffrey role, and he's putting up monster numbers every week. Yeah, it really is that simple. We said it last week. If you just looked at the usage and looked at the efficiency and you saw Carolina, the team name next to the running back, you would just assume it was another season for Christian McCaffrey. The price is going up. That salary is going up. It was 10 last week. It's now up to running back seven overall. And if you just include healthy running backs, it's even higher than that. Against this Bears defense, though, the ownership looks a little interesting. I'm seeing 15%. That's eighth highest on the slate among running backs. And we know the usage is going to be there. We really feel good about 20 opportunities, really in any kind of game script for Davis with such a high target share, the number one target share among all running backs this season. And I, I think it's really hard to move away from him even if you don't project a particularly efficient day on the ground, the usage is just so good. So what you're really saying, if you're fading him, is that the ownership is too high and that the chances of a shootout are just incredibly low. Because if this moves anywhere towards the over, you're going to want Mike Davis on your lineups. You're damn right you are. If it moves anywhere towards the over, even if it doesn't, you're probably going to want some Allen Robinson in your lineups too. Allen Robinson... (laughs) He's got 39 targets over his last three games, double digits in all of them. He doesn't have a single game with less than nine targets. Now, you could say, yeah, but Lafayette, it was Mitch Trubisky, and now it's Nick Foles. I don't care. Allen Robinson is an elite receiver. Any any quarterback that could rub two brain cells together knows that you want to get the open receiver, the football, as much as you can. And that's exactly what you're getting with Allen Robinson. Matt, I don't care who you are. You're going to throw the football to Allen Robinson as much as humanly possible because the guy's a stud. I'm equally as passionate as you. And especially when you just take a look at the wide receiver position, the other players at the wide receiver position for the Bears are essentially part-time players. Andy Miller and Darnell Mooney aren't even playing full-time snaps. So really what you're saying, if you fade Allen Robinson and like this game, is I'm betting on Jimmy Graham. It's a great point. And he did have a great one-handed catch in the end zone 
I mean, we heard rumblings that the Bears felt like the Packers had completely whiffed on the self-scouting of Jimmy Graham, and he still had a ton left in the tank. That catch certainly made it look like that. But again, we're talking about a different caliber of target, a different caliber of player in Allen Robinson, and a different caliber of guaranteed usage. So I think the simplest way to look at the Bears from now on is what can I move around a Foles and Robinson stack to make my lineup look really good from a floor perspective? Because I can guarantee you the ceiling is there and the targets are going to be there for Robinson week in and week out. No, it's a great point on if you're not banking on Robinson, who are you banking on? Like, yeah, no, a lot of people are saying, hey, Darnell Mooney, look at this young guy coming out here, putting up, you know, some some decent production. Sure. But he's not winning you football games, right? You know, he's he's been a decent role player, part-time receiver, as you mentioned. And then Anthony Miller, they've clearly soured on him. So uh, it's Robinson for me. And, yeah, I still have no problems getting to Mike Davis. Usage is king. Uh, and, you know, we saw someone like Ronald Jones last week. He came out of this one with, with 22 total looks, 100-yard rushing game, average north of six yards per attempt. Uh, this Chicago Bears defense is solid. I, I take nothing away from them now. But uh, on the ground, they've had a couple of games where they've actually uh, struggled to, to limit decent, not great, decent opposing running backs. So, yeah, those are two guys, my, my two favorite options from this one. Uh, if you wanted to talk about someone like Jimmy Graham against Carolina, not going to fight you on it. I know it's crazy, right? But he, he has four touchdowns in his first five games. He is being targeted in the red zone. There are worse things you could do. And if you and I are both talking about Hawkinson, who we both like, uh, I, I can't entirely, uh, I can't entirely exclude Jimmy Graham from the question or uh, from the equation. On the season, he has nine targets inside the twenty, four inside the five yard line, and five inside the ten. That's not bad across five games. No. There's opportunity there. So yes, he's expensive. I don't hate him though. If I'm stacking this game. Final question, Matt. What are you doing with David Montgomery? And what are you doing with the wide receivers and pass catchers for the Carolina Panthers? Okay, so I, I want to clarify what I said before and say that my favorite way to play the Bears passing game is Nick Foles and Allen Robinson because my favorite player from this game is David Montgomery. Especially when we're looking Ooh. at the way that fantasy points allowed over opponent average has swung particularly to the running back position on the Carolina defense. They give up bottom 10 as in least advantageous matchup for wide receivers and bottom 10 for tight ends but they are number one in the league by over six points per game to the running back position that is the most advantageous for running backs i am ready to be overweight even though he's at over 18 almost 19 percent ownership i really like david montgomery in this spot I know it's a little bit of a bold call, but I think, again, we're basically going back to the well for the same reason we liked Todd Gurley last week. And the Panthers are down even more linebackers than they were last week against the Falcons. Now, switching over to the second part of your question, with the Panthers passing game, we're in a, a situation that is far different than last week when they were obvious targets, both Anderson and Moore. Now they're priced up a little bit. We see Anderson now is the wide receiver 12 overall in salary i i don't i don't hate a, a play there again it's more of a stacking option than i'm just playing him alone because i feel like the matchup is so good the osmo.com projection is a little bit higher than that wide receiver 12 salary uh, and same with more 
But it's one of those things where I'm playing those players in stacks because I'm betting on a shootout here. I think one contrarian way might be a lineup where you have a Bridgewater and an Anderson or a Bridgewater and a Moore and then run it back with the running back in Montgomery. You usually don't want to do it. I think it might be a situation where that that might be viable in this game. Okay. So you are, to some extent, betting on a shootout. Yes. I think the problem... Again, we're always dealing with probabilities here. I think the Carolina defense is bad enough that we could see... Uh, we could see more production than the implied totals are suggesting. And their so, yeah. offense is good enough to somewhat be able to to maintain pace. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. I, I'm with you. I like the over in this game. Uh, what, what is it? What did I say? Forty five points, Matt. Uh, yeah, I have. I have. Yeah, forty three and a half. That's yeah, I think it actually has already been been moving upwards. Yeah, that's um, that's way too low. I'll tell you right now. So it opened at. I can't find it. I, I can't find it. But anyway, oh no, here, here we go. Oh, here we go. It opened at 44 and now it's at 45. So, all right. Still, I, I think it's a great point. And the, the nice thing about this game is you're bank, if you're banking on a shootout, there, you, you know where to go on both sides. Like, you know what direction to take. Uh, it's not like you're just tossing your hands up and, and hoping that you nail the right players, but first you have to nail the actual shootout happening. So you got to get both right. Allen Robinson's coming in at 8% ownership right now. David Montgomery's coming in at 18.8. So he's actually pretty popular. And so is Mike Davis. But I think the pass catchers here uh, are going to be far less popular. It might be a way to attack this game, attack this slate a little bit differently. Allen Robinson at 8% is, pro- is my favorite under 10% owned guy that we've discussed through the first five or six games, Matt. He's a, he's a pay up to be contrarian option this week at wide receiver four in salary. Look at you implementing that. <laughs> My man, uh, Houston and Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans, three point favorites. Vegas still given love. And really the pop, not the public, but the, 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 the betting action still appears to be giving love to this Houston team. You know, people aren't willing to, uh, people aren't willing to give up on them yet. They had a relatively convincing win last week against Jacksonville to move to one and four on the season, but uh, Titans only three point favorites blowout win over the, a good four and oh going into that game, Buffalo bills team, 53 point total here though. Uh, Tennessee playing on a short week. They played Tuesday, so they won't have nearly as much time to recuperate as they did. But an odd, an odd schedule with facilities closing down didn't seem to impact their, their level of play against Buffalo. Uh, it's a weird game here. And I guess we can start with, with Tennessee, with Derrick Henry, 7,300. Uh, A.J. Brown at 5,600. He's questionable, but I assume he's going to play. Yeah, A.J. Brown's the best value on the slate. Uh, he's still the 21st wide receiver in terms of salary, and Osmo.com projection has him within the top five. So that's just telling you just what ridiculous value he is. He absolutely has slate-breaking upside this week, and he's still just coming in at 18% ownership. That's certainly high. That's top five in wide receivers, but it's not like we have to stay away from him at that ownership because there's no chance he can hit. Now, I... Uh, I would be more concerned about such a high implied total for the Titans on short rest. 
in this weird situation if they were traveling at all, but they did just have a home game. They're basically just staying home at this point. And exactly like we said in the last game, we know where the usage is going on the the Tennessee side of the ball. We know that Derrick Henry is going to see his typical amount of opportunities. And when they put it in the air, they're either going to Jonu Smith or they're going to A.J. Brown because everyone else is on the COVID list. So it's one of these situations where if you think the Texans and Deshaun Watson are as legit as their implied total says that they are and they're going to keep pace more so than the Bills were on Tuesday night, then you got to love these Tennessee options here. But I think the most likely scenario is that the Texans uh, were riding a little bit of a high. They were playing the Jaguars, and they overperformed for the first time this season. And they're a little bit closer to that first few weeks team than we saw. And I think the Titans are just fundamentally better than them, which leads me to them being up in the second half, which leads me to Derrick Henry. He's the running back four overall in salary. With injuries, he's probably higher than that, and he's over a 25% ownership but I'm still in a in an eat-the-chalk situation with Derrick Henry. I still feel like the matchup works really well in his favor. And also, he threw a man into Middle Earth. So, like, <laughs> what do we do with that? Uh, yeah, he no ended Josh there. Norman's career. That was special. <laughs> I, you know, ultimately, Derrick Henry is not going to give us the same pass-catching upside that, that, other, that other backs do. And pro- projecting game script has been tough. I don't think anyone expected the Titans to be up by 100 points uh, in this game. Granted, a lot of that came late, but Derrick Henry just has so many opportunities on the ground. He's exclusively the bell cow back uh, between the 20s and at the goal line. There's nobody else that's going to get that work. So, you know, you got the two touchdowns and back-to-back games from Henry. His floor, amazingly, because he's not a big pass catching back, it still feels very high in this game. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to what you're saying either, Matt. Look, 34 looks in in game in week one, 31 carries and four ta- three targets, 27 in in week two, 29 in week three, only 21 in week four. But I have a, a little bit of a theory there that um, the reason Jeremy McNichols was worked in is because of all of the the craziness. And just completely unorthodox style of having to go about prepping for this game. And, and again, playing on a short week, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Vrabel said, you know what, let's, let's give him a little bit less work. He's still at almost 20 carries. Let's give him a little bit less work unless we really need to, to amp it up. I think I, I think that's a hiccup and an exception to the rule. I, I very much do not think Jeremy McNichols is going to come in and get seven, eight to ten touches every game. They were also up big, you know, late in the game, so they really didn't need to risk getting Derrick Henry hurt in meaningless touches, which is not something we expect from the Titans every week to get in these situations where they're up multiple scores with four minutes left. But that's exactly why Derrick Henry's floor is so high. I mean. Basic math here, 30 touches and three yards of carry, which, by the way, is abysmal, is still 90 yards on the ground. So if we're assuming any sort of efficiency or a couple of broken tackles here and there or just a better yards per carry output from someone as talented as Derrick Henry, the usage is fine even if there's no passing. I think that I think that he's a fine play, especially or even at the high ownership and high salary. All right. Let's keep moving here. Your final thoughts on Houston with David Johnson 
getting ownership right now probably comes down. It's just been tough. But I will say, if we're if we're taking an objective uh, perspective on David Johnson, he did see his highest opportunity count of the week or of the season last week with 17 attempts and four targets. There's two ways to look at this. One, everyone was worried that Bill O'Brien was loyal to him. Maybe uh, Romeo Cornell wouldn't be. I, I think I think that has has been put to bed. But two, this is the first time they played with a lead all season, Matt. So it just kind of goes to show you what happens if they're playing with a lead. David Johnson, 17 attempts, four targets, fine. Uh, close game against Minnesota, 16 attempts, three targets. If you expect this game to be close, you probably see similar opportunities. But aside from that, it's been a tough go for David Johnson finding the end zone. Uh, and we're now talking about someone that has failed to eclipse 20 fantasy points every single time this season. He did have 19.9 in week one, though. Yeah, yeah, he was close. But I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. The matchup is slightly above average. I'm seeing Tennessee uh, at three points allowed above opponent average there that's top 12 in the league so that's certainly not something that's not saying to shy away from david johnson i think the biggest takeaway from houston's win against the jaguars is that there are going to be weeks where playing deshaun watson brandon cooks and will fuller together is going to be uh it's going to be possible but it also could have this slate breaking upside here multiple touchdowns for them last week that block got you a huge amount of points I'm not saying it's the most probable thing. And I think when you're talking about guaranteed opportunities, you're still looking at David Johnson, as you said. But if you're looking for ceiling and you're trying to be a little bit contrarian by paying up, at least for Will Fuller, then I think going and stacking Cooks or even adding David Johnson because you think he's going to get a lot of work in the passing game isn't the craziest idea in this in this game. All right. Anything else? Uh, just remember that Duke Johnson did return to the fold. It does lower the ceiling slightly for David Johnson. Uh, we've just seen Duke Johnson be extremely efficient on limited touches before. Uh, it's a ceiling lowerer. It doesn't necessarily mean we're staying away. If you guys ever want to listen to our, our, our stuff, you can check it all out on our podcast network. You don't have to go to YouTube. Everything that, that goes to YouTube is uploaded to uh, the podcast network. So any platform that that hold or that that has podcasts, we're on there. I don't know why you wouldn't want to look at these beautiful, beautiful faces for radio, Matt. But if you if you don't and you decide <laughs> against that and you just want the audio experience, check it all out with the podcast network. And of course, oddshopper.awesomeo.com. You guys have heard me talk about it. You're gonna love it. It's completely free. Uh, and all of these books throwing money out there before you sign up. If you're going to sign up for some of these casinos, some of these sports books, do it through there so you can get all of the the, the full opportunity, the, the full uh, or availabilities, I should say, that they're offering. Huge promotions for new time signups. Uh, and not just that, everything we have there is free from your, your watch list. You can track your bets. You can get alerts for when uh, bets and odds change the way you're looking for them to go or against it. Um, everything player props you can type a name in all of his props come up there's just so much and then the new thing that i had hinted about was the game page jordan has it up on the screen look at this beautiful game page man it's awesome like everything all of the all of the public betting uh the the money line trends point spread trends total trends all of the relevant stats the lineups you name it like we have we have everything on there to get a quick 
comprehensive though view even the weather and everything up at the top like it's it's awesome just click on the game check that out uh the game page it's all totally free again uh and it's such a great way if you're betting to take a look at what type of actions coming in on it how much money what percentage of bets what percentage of bets but what percent of money all of that stuff let me know what you guys think of it too um i, I think you'll like it though it's totally free and it's it's pretty awesome for hey, can i add one thing dave please uh, it- if you're if you're looking to do these sign up bonuses too, remember when you're we're working with these books, you, they're not usually giving away free money. So really consider obviously do what's right for you and your budget when you're doing these deposit bonuses. But it's just such a good deal, especially if you haven't signed up yet. So really check it out for sure. And well, that's the thing too, Matt. Like with sports betting becoming so much more prevalent and, and beginning to open up across a lot of states, these books, yeah, you're right. Usually there's some type of catch. But there's a lot of them out there where there actually isn't a catch, where it's like, here's a bet to new users to, uh, you know, if this team scores any points, you know, we'll give it to you at, at plus 500 to score. It's crazy stuff. So and you're only going to get that once. So enjoy it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've exhausted all of my promotions. But, uh, oh, hey, free content on the site today, too, guys. Uh, if you're not a premium sub and you wanted to check out some of the stuff that we have for free completely free uh nfl rankings the mlb rankings and the pj player projections from alex baker all of those on the site completely free all right cleveland pittsburgh pittsburgh laying only three points here matt how about that three points to the steelers um i'd say this much last week i i think people will talk about them being exposed i I don't know i i think they're still a very good defense I still anticipate them winning this game. But Cleveland was a team that I was very high on coming into the year, and I felt like a dumbass after week one. I'm thinking, oh, God, what did I get myself into? I've refused to jump on the Cleveland bandwagon until this year. I try to be – not even try to be different. I just really liked what they were doing. I loved who they had on the team. And then how about this? Do you know what their record is? You know what the the Cleveland Browns record is after five weeks? Four and one, baby. Four and one, baby. Four and one. So I'll pat myself here for finally, hopefully, getting the Cleveland Browns right. The three-point spread, though, with this game being in Pittsburgh, who's allowing limited fans in attendance, by the way, uh, it says a lot about this Cleveland team and the strides they've taken over the first you know, nearly half of the season, or first quarter plus of the year. It's a heck of a lot of respect for the Browns, who have, these, as you said, been the perennial losers of the NFL And then the bandwagon really started to turn around, especially last season. And one of the things that I was thinking about uh, looking at this game this week is that the talent and the personnel around Cleveland has not changed a lot from 2019 to 2020. We know it has, though, and that's the coaching staff and the scheme around Baker Mayfield. And it's just really exciting when, as a public, we kind of felt like the talent was there. It was all coalescing around Uh, Really good players, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, and even some defensive options as well that looked really promising Then for them to fall completely flat like they did last year. Hats off to Kevin Stefanski, this new offense. It's more conservative, uh, absolutely. But when we look in terms of team relative metrics, one thing I really love to see is that Odell Beckham is a top five usage player in the league again. And when he's healthy, that is a no-brainer. I really was hoping even in a run-oriented offense, we would see Odell Beckham finally used the way he should be. 
And that's really happening for the Browns right now. Also with Kareem Hunt, we still haven't seen him fully priced up to the way that we know he could he could break a slate. He's eighth overall in terms of running back salary this week. Osmo.com projections are way more bullish than that. And his 16% ownership, again, that's something we can absolutely handle uh, unless we're trying to be contrarian. So I understand why this offense has a high implied total, even if they are projected to lose based on the Vegas line, because we know where the usage is going and the the efficiency of the play is enough so if they get into a good game script where the Steelers are scoring three to four to five times, they can keep pace. And that's the exact type of game environment and talent we want to target in DFS. And it happened last week, uh, unpredictable, but it happened last week, or uh, unexpected. The game's got a a 51-point total, man, and that did surprise me. That surprised me quite a bit, as a matter of fact, but uh, it might open things up. And ownership plays a big role here. You talked about some of the projections being bullish on somebody like Kareem Hunt. Uh, Ownership, though, there isn't a single Pittsburgh player above 7.8% right now. Uh, and uh, Cleveland, there is nobody above outside of Kareem Hunt. He's at 16.3. Everyone else on this team is really, really low. 7.2% at Odell Beckham is the other or the next highest. So outside of Kareem Hunt, this entire game is getting virtually no ownership. Uh, I'm shocked by this. Uh, weren't we just targeting teams like the Cowboys against the Browns because of the bad defensive matchups that the Browns had? Sure and thought now, so. The Steelers are playing incredibly well offensively. Not quite 2018 efficiency and yardage numbers, but we're certainly seeing a better team with Ben on the field than last year. Now, one of the things that we're noticing is the the salary for the Steelers players is probably affecting the ownership uh, significantly. I'm seeing Roethlisberger as the fourth highest salary quarterback. Connor's the sixth highest salary wide receiver. And Juju Smith-Schuster, he's just the eighth salary wide receiver. And compared to the amount of usage he's had that year, this year, excuse me, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense. He's really been the second option, whether that be uh, to Deontay Johnson before he left the game. Or, of course, we have to mention him, Chase Claypool, who, yeah, he really did have five touchdowns if it weren't for that ticky-tack call. Uh, you know, we're talking about an even better game and... Yes, he's priced as the wide receiver 25 now in salary, but 0.4% ownership for a player we just saw break the slate in a shootout situation against the Browns? I don't know. It doesn't sound like the worst idea to me. No, if if Deontay Johnson and Juju are both active, though, uh, does Chase Claypool... I I don't even want to say take a back seat because Juju Smith-Schuster was healthy against the, the Eagles. Deontay Johnson went out early, and Chase Claypool was clearly the guy. Now... Let's be fair. He was wide open half of the time, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is which is really helpful. But uh, yeah, Juju, I I, I got to tell you, I, I liked Juju last week. The Eagles have really struggled with slot receivers, but he's been pretty disappointing. I mean, yeah, he had two touchdowns in week one, which was encouraging. But aside from that, like he doesn't have a 50 yard game over his last three, Matt. He th- that price point to me seems very inflated on Juju uh, against Cleveland, but I don't know. Maybe it makes sense. It, I don't know. It's 66. Uh, my anecdotal, yeah, I think he's he's not 100%. I know they're holding him out of a lot of Wednesday practices this this year. He is getting plenty of end zone looks. As you said, he had the two touchdowns. But, yeah, I'm in kind of agreement with you. 
Denver and New England. Let's keep it going. Three games to go here. Glad you guys are sticking with us through this marathon show. 45-point total. New England laying 10 points at home. Uh, it's a big mess in Denver right now for a number of reasons. Drew Locke, however, was a full participant in yesterday's practice, and it appears that he will be back in action for week six. So that is one encouraging sign. Aside from that, though, Melvin Gordon caught himself a DUI, and he was speeding. And I've always wondered, like, I, I'm no stranger to stupid mistakes in my life, Matt. But one thing, no matter how, you know, I was, I tried not to speed because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. Like, the one thing everyone knows, and you're younger, you make stupid decisions. Like I said, I don't live that life anymore. But why would you go faster and draw attention to yourself? It's a great point. It makes no sense. And I'm sure and someone, the car was real nice, too. Yeah. Someone would say, oh, well, he, well, he was drunk. And that's why. I don't care. I, I honestly don't care. It's just incredibly. Driving drunk alone is stupid. Speeding while driving drunk, not only is it wildly reckless and dangerous, but it's even more stupid because it's like, hey, let me try to get pulled over for a DUI. This is how I'll do it. I don't know. Vic Fangio said today or tomorrow he's going to make his decision on whether or not Melvin Gordon is suspended. And you know what? The bottom line is Wednesday, uh, assuming a Sunday game as this is, Wednesday is the game plan install day. So if you're a coach and you're creating a walkthrough of the game plan that you're about to create and you're planning on using that player 20 times, it's really hard to do that without them even present on the practice field. So I think one of the ways you might play this is that even if he is active, you're assuming Philip Lindsay is now a larger part of the offensive game plan than you would have projected before. Yeah, I, I don't want to be this, the honorability or rules police or anything like that, but it does seem like a really boneheaded decision, especially since he had been playing so well with Philip Lindsay out. Now this game becomes a situation where, uh, again, anecdotal evidence, but Bill Belichick feasts on teams that are dealing with strife and turmoil. Bill Belichick will exploit that in a minute. And I'm not saying he's some sort of magician. He's not the players on the field. But we even saw it in last week's game against the Chiefs. They're a different kind of scheme, scheming team defensively, and they can really, really ruin your day. I didn't have a lot of faith in Denver, even if Drew Locke returns. But now we're talking about a team without their best offensive weapon, period, in Cortland Sutton for the year. A team without their best weapon without Sutton in Gordon being gone. And so now you're hoping on Philip Lindsay and Jerry Judy? Uh, that does not an NFL offense yet make for me. No, it certainly doesn't. But you're also talking about back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons from Lindsay. He's $4,300. The, the the cheapest price at running back on DraftKings is $4,000. He's $300 above the minimum. Uh, I, I think he definitely deserves a higher price point than that. Uh, the New England Patriots have actually uh, coughed up a couple decent rushing games to opposing teams. That is an area of weakness for them. Now, to your point, it could just get ugly very quickly and they have to abandon the run. But if Melvin Gordon is out, uh, it's going to be Philip Lindsay's backfield for sure. I don't imagine that Royce Freeman's going to be in there getting a whole heck of a lot of work, maybe a couple targets, a few rushes. But uh, $4,300, $300 above the minimum on DraftKings to me is still too cheap a price point. Yeah, I think if he if he is the main guy, 
Well, right now we're only seeing him at a projected ownership of 0.5%. I'm assuming Melvin Gordon's projected in, though. Exactly, exactly what I was going to say there. So that ownership is going to skyrocket, and we have to really be considering why we're doing that in this situation. Isn't it possible, as you said, that New England just completely dominates this matchup defensively, and we know how they want to play offensively, so committed to the run, number one in run plays per, per game in the NFL this year. That's going to slow down the overall number of plays. So we talk about overall usage. We really can't guarantee that for any Denver player this week, assuming the Patriots have their way and the game flow, game flow goes the way they want it to, which I do. I just don't really like this game. I think that's very fair. I, I, I'm kind of interested in the secondary options of uh, New England in the passing game. Someone like Jameer Bird is priced way back down whereas he was an interesting low price option when Cam was in the lineup. Maybe we can go back there. And I also like to see that Nikhil Harry's target share when Cam was in the lineup was very close to Julian Edelman. We mentioned this, this a few weeks ago, though. The air yard share numbers for Julian Edelman with Cam in the lineup, it's really like no, no Edelman we've ever seen before. Speaking of no Edelman we've ever seen before, uh, week five was like a different player on the field. Mental errors, physical errors. Um, cl- clearly, it looked like he was affected by the changing quarterback situation. Hopefully, that gets back on track this week. Um, Marcos says, if Lindsay is 35% owned, I'm fading. Totally agree with you, Marcos. If, 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 this, if this comes down to a situation where Lindsay ends up being mega chalk, you're absolutely right. Just because he's cheap does not mean that he's going to be an elite tournament play. I think in cash, entirely different conversation there. But yes, if, if Lindsey comes in being one of the highest owned or the highest owned player uh, and Melvin Gordon is out, then that's a totally different conversation. And, and I'm with you. I would be getting away from that as well because this game could clearly get out of hand. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about either team here is that I was really disappointed to see Noah Fant's salary so high because maybe I would be interested in him if he plays this week. He's, remember, he left with that ankle injury a few weeks ago. But with the tight end three overall salary, it's just really hard to fit that he's in. Tough. He's very good. I, I really like Noah Fant a lot. Uh, I think he's going to be one of the more preeminent tight ends in the league. And when you're talking fan, uh, seasonal fantasy in a couple of years from now, he's probably going to be drafted like top three, top four at his position. I really believe this kid's going to be good, but yeah. uh, it's a tough offense right now. They don't have the weapons they need. Cortland Sutton, it might be easy for Bill Belichick to take uh, an approach that just really, really throttles this team and, and, and puts his uh, puts his foot on their neck and, and quashes it before it starts. So I would I would like to be wrong. I'll say that. I would like to see Drew Locke and the Broncos be able to put an offense together, especially in the division they're in. They're certainly going to need to score points to compete. It's just really hard to see it starting this week. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's better than Brett Rippon, though, and I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, it you know, it's still better than him or Blake Bortles or Jeff Driscoll. So uh, that's the one silver lining, I guess. New York Jets, Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins, Matt. This is not me misspeaking. The Dolphins are 10-point favorites over the New York Jets. 10 points! It's insane, man. Sam Darnold's already been ruled out. Le'Veon Bell got released. You want to talk about inner turmoil within an organization. The Jets 
Look at the Jets and look no further. <laughs> it is bad. Brashad Perriman, who knows what's going on with him. Uh, I believe he got in a limited practice yesterday. We'll continue to pay attention to that. The, the whole team, though, is an, is, is an absolute mess. Chris Herndon's been a colossal disappointment. Uh, Joe Flacco looking to start this game. Um, there's just there's, there's nothing good to say about them. So uh, just very quickly, get your take on the New York Jets, unless it's going to take you longer than that. I can't imagine it will. Yeah, I really could just do it in two words, Jamison Crowder. That's it. He's been spectacular. I said that to Kyle yesterday when, when he said that this whole team has been terrible. Uh, Jamison Crowder's actually been really, really good. So yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, he's a, especially on DraftKings, a full PPR site. I think he's just a pretty no-brainer option. He's down priced at the wide receiver 16 overall this week. It's 6100 That's very flexible salary-wise. And he's only seeing 6.5-point ownership. Uh, you know, he's like the, the Cole Beasley of a terrible team. You know, he really is a threat for 7 and 110 on a low ADOT every single week. That's a great player. But... It's a terrible team. There really isn't much else to say. I'm certainly not hoping for Frank Gore or LaMichael Pirine to suddenly have any sort of elusiveness. They, they grade out terribly in terms of the elusiveness rating that I uh, look at from PFF or on the data deep dive. Um, I actually said something that both LaMichael Pirine and Le'Veon Bell have legitimate gripes with their coach and that had to update it because Le'Veon Bell no longer has that coach. Um, it, it's just really hard to trust. And you know what? The The only reason you would use a Jet player is because you think that the Dolphins are actually going to be putting up close to 30 points like their implied total suggests. So right. uh, do you think the NFC – or excuse me, the AFC East is going to be creating a shootout the way that these implied totals say it will? I say no. I say no. Uh, it, but it's, it, I wouldn't have thought the Jets and Broncos were either, but – Sometimes it happens. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick is a really good fantasy quarterback. And he's a great tournament quarterback because there are going to be weeks where he just completely disappoints you. Uh, Take week one, for example, against the Patriots, three interceptions, zero touchdowns. What has he done since? He's dropped 25-plus fantasy points in four straight starts now, okay? He's thrown seven touchdowns to two interceptions over his last four games and against the Seahawks where he threw zero touchdowns he rushed for 47 yards and ran in a score and threw for 315 yards yeah Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick gets the job done man and that's why I love this guy Uh, everyone if you don't like this guy you don't have a soul straight up you don't like Ryan Fitzpatrick you're 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 made of he's of, got something for everyone too he's so he's flashy for fun he doesn't take himself too seriously but awesome. then he's so nerdy when he wants to be he had this quote yeah. about why he prefers qbr as a statistic and he had my eyes rolling back in my head and i love this stuff so i yeah. he's awesome and he's his teammates love him watch when he scores watch when he rushes in a touchdown his teammates love him and uh, for that reason, I love him. I also love Brian Flores. I'm a Dolphins. I'm a Dolphins stan at this point, man. I root for the bad teams. I latch on the one. Last year, I saw a little bit of a little glimmer of hope. Um, and I said this year, when I ranked the, my t- f- top uh, bottom five teams in the uh, of the year, I put it on Twitter. The guy, the teams I thought would be bottom five, I didn't have the Dolphins and took some heat for it. Now they could still be bottom five, but I just think they're a little bit better than some people. 
uh, would think. And they shit all over the San Francisco Giants uh, 49ers last week. So that was really fun to see. So, yeah, I do think points are put up here. And if you wanted to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker and Jamison Crowder, I don't think it's insane. I don't. Uh, I think Miles Gaskin is a perfectly reasonable option. He's been getting the large majority of work here. He had 21 looks last week, 16 attempts and five targets. Uh, from efficiency standpoint, he leaves plenty to be desired, but he's going to be on the field. Yeah, I like the Dolphins, Matt, and I like Jamison Crowder. Um, I do believe Jamison Crowder is a very, very good player, uh, a position guy or a possession guy who has also been able to rack up way more yardage and yards after the catch this season than we've seen in years past. So uh, I like him. His, his average his average reception uh, yards per reception has been 14 plus in every single game this year. Yeah, that's that's incredible numbers here. And you know what? Every single player, Parker, Fitzpatrick, Gaskin and Crowder that you just mentioned, they all have projections on awesomeo.com that are higher than their salary ranking would imply. So that feels like a really sneaky snap, sneaky staff play. You just have to remember that you could get one of these AFC East slugfests that's like 19 to 7 with Joe Flacco starting where the Dolphins don't even have to run the score up. With Fitzpatrick at quarterback, that's less likely than previous seasons, but it's absolutely still a possibility. All right. Want to close this out? With we got we're moving on to Green Bay Tampa. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Green Bay Tampa. One more time, hit that thumbs up for us. We got like 450 plus watching. We're about an hour and 38 minutes into it, Matt. About to wrap it up with a very interesting game. Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Bucks, 55 point total. Packers laying only one point on the road. So this game projected to be very close. Uh, yesterday, our ownership projections must have been a little out of whack because Devontae Adams was showing like 4%. And I said, if that's the case, he'll be my highest owned player uh, and it won't even be close. Like, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be it's so high above the field or so above the field on Devontae Adams if that was the case. His, his ownership came up. I get it. I still love him against Tampa Bay. Uh, and I like Ronald Jones on the other side, Leonard Fournette was active last game, clearly wasn't fully healthy, played only one snap. He's questionable, limited again this week. Uh, Ronald Jones saw a ton of opportunity against the Chicago Bears. I think Green Bay's one major weakness in the defense will be their run game, so or their run defense. So that's where my two initial spots that I'm looking towards, and we do have some injuries to touch on, are Devontae Adams uh, and on the other side, Ronald Jones. What are you doing with this one? Well, how could you not look at Rodgers and Adams, even at their high salary, as the optimal stack projections-wise? I mean, it just it Tampa Bay's defense is not one of the worst teams in the league by any stretch of the imagination. And their run defense is spectacular. But that's exactly what I was going to say. The Todd Bowles defense consistently aims to stop the run, and they're going to look at a player like Aaron Jones and say that's an engine of this offense that we have to stop. An engine, not the engine, because I'm sorry, that's Aaron Rodgers. I said in my data deep dive that he's playing at an MVP MVP level. He's number one in expected points added per play in a metric that looks at the number of times he turns drives into touchdowns. That's true drive success rate. He's sixth in the league. Just about every advanced metric, Aaron Rodgers is popping to the top this year. While you're when he's on this kind of a heater, it's really hard to move away from him from him, even at the QB two salary. Now, 
what you often find, especially in tournaments, is that these high salary quarterbacks actually look a little bit underowned. I'm seeing him with a 3.5% ownership projection. So even if Devontae Adams has this 20% plus ownership projection that Osmo.com is now projecting, the second you stack him with Rodgers, you're looking at a huge amount of differentiation with your lineup. So I like this as a sneaky shootout a little bit more than the previous game that we were talking about because Tampa Bay will focus on the run, stopping the run game more so than being able to stop Rodgers in the passing game. I agree. A couple comments about Adams being doubled in this game. Again, I go back to the to the point of if, if that's something that concerns you, totally understandable. But Aaron Rodgers in pretty much every single spot we've seen has forced the ball to Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams, I don't know, Matt, usually wins those battles. Is, so, is Devontae Adams not doubled in other weeks? But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Isn't any like, different? It's, that's, do, yeah. What about last season in the games that he was healthy? Who else are you looking at? Valdez, Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, Alan Lazard, who's injured right? still, and and so you're you're not even looking at a hundred percent lineup of wide receivers behind him. It was exciting to see Robert Tanyan. They certainly could use an effective second option in the receiving game. So. <laughs> if Tanyan is for real uh, on top of Adams, now you're just looking at an explosive offense week to week in a situation. Yes, this doesn't look like the easiest of shootout opportunities, but you really can't rule out the Packers from scoring 35 points any week at this point. No, no question. And the Bucks defense is allowing 2.7 yards per carry on the ground. Think about that. Two, they absolutely swallow up everybody they face. Uh, 2.7 yards per carry. Uh, on the season, they're allowing how many yards per game? It's got to be the fewest. In the, 58 rushing yards per game. Like this, wow. isn't this, right? this isn't to say weird things don't happen, that Aaron Jones might not break one. But there's a very good chance that, that a lot gets funneled to Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. And you know what? Is that really the worst thing that could happen? Like, oh, no. We have to have Aaron Rodgers playing at an MVP level, throw the ball to – a, arguably the most elite wide receiver in the league, Devontae Adams. Like, I, I think they can make that work. So just wanted to, to throw my take out on that. Um, and then I'm if you do Aaron Jones at 7,600, that's an expensive price point in this matchup. Like, Matt, I really, really have an in, 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 in inordinate amount of respect for this Bucks run defense. I can't stress it enough. Like, if you watch any game, they don't, they're behind the line of scrimmage before the ball touches the running back's hand. Yeah, and if you think that the rush game gets bottled up by the pack, excuse me, by the Buccaneers on the Packers' offense, then you're saying that they are going to pass. As we've said, that typically increases the amount of plays in a game because on incompletions the clock gets stopped, which means that we might be looking in a runback situation here, especially with Mike Evans. It hasn't been the prettiest for Tom Brady efficiency-wise. But even if you watch the game last week, he's taking plenty of deep shots, plenty of end zone shots. They just aren't accurate at this point. We know Mike Evans is capable of these huge multi-touchdown games, and especially if they're trying to keep pace with a Packers team that is efficient, that is productive, then they'll be forced to put the ball in the end zone even more than they than they otherwise would. All right, man, let's wrap it up. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I talked about Ronald Jones 
Uh, I don't know what Leonard Fournette's status is going to be, but I do have some interest in Jones here, depending on what price you're getting him at. 6000 flat on DraftKings really doesn't bother me that much. Uh, I'm not, I haven't been enamored with the Green Bay run defense from what I've seen. If this game's projected to be close, let's say it stays close throughout, then that just makes Ronald Jones even more appealing to me. But he's been targeted more in the passing game as well, which I like to see. Uh, 14 targets over his last two games. Really good stuff, uh, of which both were competitive. What are you doing with Ronald Jones, and how are you approaching the passing game? You can tie, you can tie the bow onto this one before we close down shop. Perfect. Yeah, I like Ronald Jones, particularly if Leonard Fournette is forced to sit again. I don't think he's practicing yet. Um, and so in that case, at the running back 15 in salary this week, I think uh, Ronald Jones is a great option to choose, even if it is a shootout, even if they are playing from behind. Again, if he has a majority of that backfield to himself. I am seeing that Green Bay is one of seven teams that give up over six points in fantasy points allowed over opponent average that to the running back position. So it means it is one of the most advantageous running back matchups on the week. And I'm only seeing 6.2% ownership here. That's running back 14. I think that's a really, really nice way to access probably 15 opportunities in this game if we're projecting the game flow correctly. That said, if Chris Godwin is back and he got in a full practice last week, I do think you see something closer to what we were projecting coming into the season for the Buccaneers, which is a heavy reliance on those two main wide receivers and just putting the ball in Brady's hand even more than we've seen in the first few weeks. All right, Matt, 11 up, 11 down. We're, we're cutting into that time. We're cutting into that timing a little bit too. You know, we went about an hour, 45 minutes for 11 games. Not we're bad. We're streamlining. We're streamlining all the we're same st- info. We are. We're streamlining this. We're, we're beginning to gel uh, okay. a little bit more cohesion between the two of us, making it happen through six weeks. But yes, really, sir. you can check this show out and feel pretty good going into Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? Like, we still would love you to check out the FanDuel show tonight or today with Matt Kajewski and Kyle Dvorak. It's a great show. Those guys really know their stuff. Uh, the strategy shows throughout the rest of the week, on the contrary, on Saturday. Uh, and then, of course, the Deeper Dive True Marathon, three hours of Deeper Dive Q&A, live before lock, leading up to 1 o'clock, all of that stuff. But, Matt, I feel pretty good uh, about what we've been able to provide here across that hour 45 minutes. Oh, absolutely. And one of our gifts this week is we don't have a ton of slate changing late inactives. I can think of Julio Jones. That's that's a big one. But yeah, the the less inactives late that we have, the more helpful this Thursday podcast can be. Not that it isn't always helpful. It certainly is. But that's and a help for us this week. Also, Matt's matchups column on awesome.com. It's free. Highly recommend you check that out. There's some really good stuff in there. He puts a ton of time into it. It's well worth reading and you don't have to pay for it. Uh, also, what did you call the data dive, data deep dive? Yeah, the data deep dive. That's basically a look behind the curtains of the metrics that I use to create the matchups column. And that has recently moved to free on awesome.com too. I'm really excited to show people all the crazy stats, charts, and metrics that I use to get ready every week. All right. We love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us as always. We'll be back with you tomorrow, Friday strategy show. Until then, stick around. We got a lot more coming up throughout the day. The FanDuel strategy show, MLB Live Before Lock with Emac and Jake at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And then the betting show, Ben Rossa, Julian Edlow. Actually, no, I'm wrong. That's tomorrow morning. But hey, why not stick around for that? Just go all the way through the night. 
Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon.